When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Berry. And that weekend of basketball, men's and women's, was about as good as it could have gone for Arizona. We'll keep it the focus on the men here. Of course, the women swept their games against the Oregon schools, satisfying victory against Oregon at home. But the men, they beat UCLA, monster win, came back and beat USC, really good win. Then, of course, beat ASU, which is a satisfying win. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's more fun when Arizona wins. <laughs> that's my analysis, Adam. <laughs> and that's been a great show, everyone. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating we'll, and a review. We will read it on the air. <laughs> no, but I mean, if if it's it's funny if you think back a few weeks, starting with the UCLA game, which was the the biggest matchup, right? Um, you know, you and I were on this pod talking about the uh, inanity of some of the hot takes coming out of there, and it's you know. <laughs> The, the tired legs leading to Arizona missing shots question, which uh, I think UCLA got to understand what it's like when the other team makes shots and you don't make them. Yeah, it's um, not a great strategy. Yeah, so, you know, that was a very satisfying kind of, you know, win for Arizona to get off the schneid a little bit. Well, for beating shots. UCLA, beating a ranked team. Like, yeah. Arizona hasn't had a win like that since what? When they beat Michigan in Las Vegas, and then they lost to Tennessee. So there were those doubts of can they beat a good team, and we we never really had those doubts ourselves because we've seen this team play. We know they're really good, but until you beat other really good teams, some might question, like, wait a minute, you know, especially since you said they kicked the crap out of them in Los Angeles not too long before this meeting again. So I, I understood that, but to beat UCLA, then to beat USC, like, yeah, I think they answered a lot of critics there. Yeah, but we're also kind of glossing over the Illinois win, which in retrospect is looking like a very good win um, in terms of ranked. Oh, sure, and Wyoming too. Oh, yeah, fair point. Um, But, you know, there was a little bit of trudging, I think, happening in the Arizona roster with the shots just not falling, having a lot of the games getting rescheduled and then having to play a lot of games on the road up to and including uh, the ASU game at McHale North, you know, third game in, what, five days. Uh, Granted it. You know, Arizona's home away from home in Tempe. Uh, but, you know, they didn't just beat UCLA. They beat them fairly soundly, if not, you know, not a you know blowout. But they were leading for the majority of that game. They mm-hmm. were leading, what, by 12 at halftime. Um, you know, it was not necessarily a given at any point because UCLA is a good team. But they they did what you wanted them to do and ended up winning by, what, 10 points? at home, which everybody thought the spread was kind of crazy. And then, oh, maybe Vegas does know things once in a while. <laughs> crazy. Uh, but more but more importantly, big picture, I think it showed up in the following two games. Um, Arizona got off the schneid a little bit, seeing the ball go through the basket. Even if they're having to manufacture some of those things, you know, getting to some of the confidence back, knowing that they can win. I think they've been trudging a little bit since the UCLA matchup when the shots just weren't falling and some of the road trips. Mm-hmm. Um, then they come out, beat UCLA, then match up with a, a tough 
uh, USC team. I don't think USC is as great as their rankings were earlier in the year, but they have some real talent on that roster. And then you you came out and got punched in the mouth by ASU for four minutes, and then you know proceeded to roundly demolish them for the for the following 35 minutes. And Arizona, by the end of that game, had all of its swagger back from, you know, the December Arizona Wildcats. It certainly seems that way. And the one thing that I really take away from the three-game sweep over the weekend is how they did it, right? It wasn't like Arizona went out there and started raining threes. Like, they weren't shooting lights out all weekend. Now, they shot over 50% against ASU, but, you know, ASU. But what Arizona did was they had a healthy Isolus Tubelis, which I don't think we can underestimate that impact because he is such a game-changing dynamic player from that power forward spot, from that four spot for them, where he makes a huge difference. But then you have Umar Balo continuing his great play off the bench. You have Pella Larson playing well off the bench. So what Arizona did in looking very good and looking like Arizona again was kind of show a different version of themselves. We, I remember we talked, I think it was last week, about you know when Arizona, they beat ASU by slowing the game down. You know, is that maybe a good thing to be able to see that, like, hey, they can win that way. It's like, well, it's ASU. They should be able to beat them any way they want or any way they decide to on a given day. But they had to kind of play that style against USC, and they were successful. They had to play that style a little against UCLA, and they were successful. So to see what Arizona did in this three-game sweep, these last three victories, was show a complete package of a basketball team, one that doesn't have to rely on great shooting to win, one that doesn't have to rely on just a size advantage to win, but one that can win in a variety of different ways against some talented teams. Yeah, I think that's a really a really fair point, Adam. Um, and at some point, the both Arizona's shooting and their opponent's shooting is going to revert to the mean with whatever the level of defense that you know is being played on either side. You know, Arizona held USC to, what, 34% shooting? I think they held USC to something similar, ASU to something similar. You know, at some point, that's, you know, just like Arizona missing open shots was the exception and not the norm. Um, you know, the Arizona's defense started to come back a little bit and turning the defense into offense, as you know, that I am prone to uh, encourage the, this Arizona Wildcats team to kind of push the pace in that way. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think your point is very well taken where, you know, you're seeing a growth in a team of finding ways to to win or finding ways not to lose. Just like, you know, the inverse for Arizona football is they have to find ways not to lose before they can really start to win games. And, and it's not Arizona- fluky. Right? None yeah. of this is fluky. It's not like it's, everything that they've done looks repeatable. We were watching. We were at the game against ASU. We told you, oh, we'd be there. We were there. And when that game started, it was at 13-1, 16-3 or something like that. And we both were kind of like, well, ASU's not going to shoot 80% from three-pointer all game, right? They're not going to yeah. do that. They'll get back to some level of being ASU, just like Arizona's not going to keep missing layups, not going to keep missing bunnies near the basket. And that was true. It held true. And what, again, if Arizona was going out there and making 15, like, ASU made 13 threes and lost comfortably. Like, that's a team, like, that's just, they don't have anything else going for them. They need that just to compete. Arizona can go out there and only shoot the, you know, make three, three or four three pointers and win comfortably like they did against USC. You know, they can pound it down low. They can get to the free throw. They show that they could do everything you need to win a basketball game. And I don't think we needed to see that personally. But if anyone had those doubts about Arizona, they've shown more over the last three days or three games than I think maybe people expected of them. Because it's, yeah, it's Tommy Lice's Gonzaga offense. They're going to run and gun. They're going to fly down the court, score 90 points a game. And, yeah, that's pretty. We all like that. That was a joy to watch when they were doing it to ASU on Monday. But you have to be able to win in other ways. And they showed they can do it against good teams. And I think uh, in a more, a more micro trend you saw over the last three games, you know, some people are still hammering Kirk Carissa on the, on the Twitter machine and on the boards, um, you know, for some of his turnovers, some of which is warranted. But have you have you noticed that Kerr Carissa's uh, shot selection has dramatically improved? He's not he's not shooting with his feet not set nearly as often. He's taking fewer shots, but they're better shots, more within the flow of the offense, still maintaining a pretty good assist to turnover ratio. There's there's little bits of progress even within the player level. Um, but yeah, to your point, Adam, I was actually just looking up stats here. What if I told you that ASU had more steals, seven fewer turnovers? 
the same amount of blocks, the same amount of assists, and they still lost by 22 while shooting 43% from three. Well, they got nearly doubled up on the boards. That's the big thing. Like that, And yeah. ASU, to me, is not like, – it looked like Arizona, especially in the second half of that game with them getting out there, all the dunks. I mean, you can make a highlight video of just dunks, and it would take like three minutes. Like, it was I just so watch, much – I would watch that video oh, put it on over loop. and over. Yeah, put it on loop. But <laughs> – but Arizona, like ASU, is not the best team Arizona is going to play. But they played well again. They played well against USC. Got to a slow start in that game, but turn it on. They had those like runs of death in the second half where they just shut you down. And they've won it with defense. They do it with rebound. They do it with free throw, free throw shooting. They can do it with three point shooting and just getting to the basket. They can do it in so many ways. And you know, there's the rest of the schedule shakes out. Arizona's probably not running the table. I would just have a hard time picturing that in the Pac-12 slate, right? Like they're going to the Washington trip, which looks a bit tougher now. Washington State and Washington. Then you have the Oregon schools at home. Then you have the mountain trip at Utah and Colorado, which is followed by one of those shoehorn games at USC. And the last time Arizona had a shoehorn game in Los Angeles, it didn't go well. You know, then you finish up hosting Stanford and California. Maybe there's a loss in there. Maybe there's two. But looking at that, UCA lost to ASU. So thank you, Sun Devils, on Saturday. That was ideal. Arizona has a two-game lead in the Pac-12, so the division, the conference, is theirs to win or theirs to lose, depending on your perspective. But Arizona's in such a good position to... We know we care more about the tournament, the NCAA tournament, than winning the Pac-12. But the fact that Arizona, who I think was picked to finish, what, fourth in the conference, has a very legitimate chance to win the Pac-12 right now. Uh, it's a special season already. Yeah, I think, I think you know, not just a le- legitimate chance, they're the clear favorite at this point they are right now yeah you know and the, the remainder of the schedule it's not impossible for arizona to run the table the rest of the way they just went through the hardest stretch of their schedule probably with ucla and and, and usc uh, i so think there's some road games they got four tough road games five really you know yeah i mean lord knows what happens when arizona wildcats go to pullman and then Oregon, they've struggled with Oregon in recent history. So no, I, but I, I think Arizona is good enough to run the table. I just can't expect that, but they don't have I, yeah. to. That's a nice will, thing. There's a cushion. I think they will be favored in almost every game. Oh, I'd expect them to be favored in every one of those. I, you know, the only, maybe one of the road ones that got rescheduled. But um, yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, and I think I mentioned to you at the game um the other night is that I'm not sure we've actually seen Arizona put together its best, most complete game. Every game, there's some guys that are not quite clicking right for the whole time. And when that happens, what is the real ceiling of this team? But you know, how much time do you have to get there and work out those kinks before March, which is when it's really going to matter. But the beauty is right now, if you take a loss with that cushion, all right, you don't have to worry about that. If somebody has a, a sprained ankle or, you know, hurts a wrist or jams a finger, you don't have to play them in that game, and you probably aren't going to even lose the game, but you don't have to worry about losing the Well, and the you think that two-game lead they have, is UCLA running the table? Probably not. Is Oregon running the table from this spot? Probably not. So assuming everybody loses a game or two down the stretch, Arizona still wins the Pac-12, which is really cool. <laughs> like, And it's like we all look at the Pac-12 tournament, we look at the Pac-12 regular season, we say March Madness is where it's at, but winning the conference shows that you were the best team over the course of it. Like, that's... The NCAA tournament is one game. Like, it's little right. giants, you know, one time, and you can lose. Whereas to win the Pac-12 shows you were the best team throughout that entire slate. And Arizona has not won the Pac-12. Like, this is a lot of conjecture we're talking about. But what they did this last weekend is put themselves solidly in position to win the Pac-12. And I just, you ask about haven't seen their best game, and I don't know what their best game looks like. But when you see the roster now, you see Umar Balo being a force down low, not just against ASU, being an impact player off the bench. You see Pella Larson starting to look healthy and being more of a scorer. I know Tommy Lloyd said after the ASU game how he's been telling him, like, he's been, he's been looking for the pass, like, go score. You're a good scorer. Go do that. And we saw that against ASU. He was assertive offensively, looking for a shot, and he was really good. You know, Justin Kyer seems like a perfect player off the bench for them. Like, they're getting, if they can start getting that from these guys, and there's really their biggest hole, their biggest flaw is that point guard with Kirk Creaser, who... To your point, like, he's still the starting point guard for a team that's won 20 games already this season. He's not perfect, but he seems to be getting better and finding his role on this team. And we all know he's capable of hitting two, three, four threes in a game. But they don't need that from him. And the more he understands that, he's a really good passer. Yeah. <laughs> like That's very underrated. Some of the, His ball placement on some of those passes is just perfect. So he doesn't have to take 14 shots a game. He could take five shots a game, dish out five assists, as long as he doesn't turn the ball over four times or so. Then you're going to be happy with Kirk Carissa, and all of a sudden this team has no weakness. Yeah, and, and Kirk Carissa 
we talked about it, the game has an intangible component there where he has that dog mentality that even when they're down, he's going to be the guy that's going to give them that swagger. And this team is young still, and they need somebody to have that. And if he realizes that, to your point, if he just shoots five shots a game, but they're very effectively done, and he's a facilitator, he's surrounded by a bunch of athletes. Umar Balo was maybe the best player on the court in the game against ASU on Monday. Um, you know, he... He can he can do more by trying to do less a little bit and 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 more empowering his teammates, but still keeping that mentality. And that's that's what's going to be the biggest value for this team as they move into the latter part of the season. Yeah, certainly. So the latter part of the season starts with a trip to the Washington schools at Washington State on Thursday at Washington on Saturday before the Cats return home for a couple of games against the Oregon schools. But let's take a break and we come back. We'll get into our Diamond Preview Series because spring sports are happening and Arizona baseball and softball have some intriguing seasons coming up. And we're back with part of our Diamond Preview Series edition, whatever you want to call it here on Wildcat Radio 2.0 with P.J. Brown of the Arizona Daily Star. P.J., welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thanks. It's great to be back. I love talking to you guys. No, we love having you on here for your insight. Oftentimes we have you on for women's basketball, and we'll have you on to talk about them sometime down the road because there are great things in store for them. But softball season is starting up here, and Arizona softball is an institution. We all know that. But there's a big change going into this season where Caitlin Lowe is now the head coach. Mike Andrea stepped aside to retire, and I think people are kind of wondering, what is Arizona getting in Caitlin Lowe? Like, they know Caitlin Lowe. She was on the staff. She's an all-time great, but... What is Arizona getting at her as the head coach of this team? Well, I think um, one thing that you can count on from Caitlin Lowe is that she will continue the tradition of Arizona softball. Whatever you think of that Arizona softball is, and I'm not just talking about the wins and the and the you know and the national championships, which Yes, she she plans on getting another trophy or two, right? Yeah. But um, but it's it's just who Arizona softball is. They're just this traditional powerhouse of a program that um, that really it's just this. I don't know. It's a great program. Just. The integrity and the the way they go about what they do and why they're so great. Um, again, it's not just the the wins and everything on the field, but it's really how Coach Candrea built this program and 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 what it means and and just how special it is for those players to come in here now and to wear the the block A and continue the tradition that, you know, the 30-plus years tradition that has come before them. All of that is going to continue because Caitlin Law, let's face it, she was one of the best ever to wear the A. And the fact that she knows what it's like to be a player at Arizona and win on a high level... And then she came in and she was trained by the same coach on how to coach. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. And so I think that we can expect the same type of, um, you know, gutsy performances and um, just great softball that people have seen throughout the year years. Um, and I also think that on the other side of it, it's that um, I'm really excited to this weekend to go out and watch them play because the flip side is they just lost one of the classes, one of the senior classes graduated, one of the best all-time classes um, at Arizona with Deja Mulipola, Jesse Harper, Raina, Karanko, just down the line, all those great players, they're gone now, and let's see what this new group has to, you know, is going to come in and do. So there's a lot of sort of question marks, yet, you know, you still have a few players who are who have been there and who've been great, like Char Palacios behind the plate, 
and Janelle Mayunio, who's out in the, uh, who was in left field and now is going to center field this year. And then, of course, um, you know, you have those two. You've got Hannah Bowen back in the circle, and you got Carly Scoopin at first base. I mean, you plus a lot of others. This is a huge team with a lot of talent. So, yeah, yeah, PJ, you went into some of the names for Arizona fans to know, but what about even some of the newcomers that maybe haven't put on the uniform before that you expect to make a lot of noise on this, on this uh, you know, new softball roster? Sure. Um, I did a story about Paige uh, Dimler for, our, for the um, Arizona Daily Stars um, preview section. It was very exciting. I don't remember another time that we've had a baseball-softball preview section. Um, at least since I've been covering the team. And so um, that was really exciting. And we got to do four stories on softball. And one of them was on Paige Dimler, who comes in and she's a power hitter. She actually has hit a few home run balls on top of Giddings next door. I mean, very few Wildcats have done that. So um, it's really cool that she's done that. And She's also this kind of player who every day she's working to get better. So I think she's going to be a really fun player to watch and watch how she improves day by day and game by game because I think we're going to see that um, throughout the season. So she's going to be a fun one to watch. Um, And then um, there's also um, Amber Tovin. She's probably going to play second or back up at second. She's an infielder, and she comes in really highly rated. And um, there's a pitcher, Maddie Ellish. I don't know, as a freshman, how she's going to fit in. I mean, we know that Bo is the is the ace. Hannah Bowen is the ace. And um, they've got two sophomores um, in Devin Nets. And um, Jesse Fonts, who are going to be probably getting a lot of time in the circle. Um, but it will be interesting to see if I'm sure Maddie will get some time, especially in the this non-conference, and um, to see what she can bring um, and what's different. She's very she was really highly rated. They had a really good class, um, you know, a freshman class coming in. So. Um, so it'll be fun to watch those players. You know, it, it's funny hearing all this. It's that Caitlin Lowe, she's the new coach, but it's going to be a lot of the same, what we're used to seeing. I'm sure she'll have her own tweaks and differences, but we can expect more of the same. And yet the roster did lose a lot from last season. So it's like, it's a different Wildcats, but the same Wildcats. It's just like, what are they going to look like? Is it going to be the exact same style of play? Or is it because they lost some of the power maybe that they had last year, like the Jesse Harpers that we got so used to? They will play more of a small ball. Like, what do we even know yet? Is it just too early because this team does have so many new faces to kind of expect the style of play on the field? I think that we will start seeing that this weekend. Um, you know, Caitlin Lowe's been kind of close to the vest. She hasn't told us, like, really who's going to start in positions. We know some people are going to start because. They, they're, it's carried over from last year. Like we know, Shar Palacios is going to be behind, going to be behind the plate, a catcher. She, um, she tried out for Team USA, and she's going to be playing in two tournaments this summer: the Canada, uh, Canada Cup and I think the Japan Cup. Um, so we know she's going to be there. We know Janelle's going to be out in center field. She had an excellent freshman year, and we know Carly Scoopin's going to be at first. Um, Hannah Martinez is going to play probably at third and then move somebody a little speedier out into the outfield. Um, but even the style of play, I think there will be a little bit more small ball. And I think the people who are power hitters are going to still be power hitters. Um, I think it's going to change. That stuff will change, and I think it will evolve some more. And we just have to wait and see what Caitlin has up her sleeve. She's been very quiet about all of this stuff. She's just, um, I think she, she, I think she was that type of player too, where she just wants to get on the field and and let their play speak for themselves. 
Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a hard thing for us to kind of have an expectation for this team when we don't we have so many question marks and everything's so close to the to the best with Caitlin Lowe. Um, but from where you're sitting and what you've observed so far, uh, PJ, and and maybe in the context of what we should be expecting out of the Pac-12, what are your expectations for this this year's roster in terms of where they stack up with the other teams at the conference? Well, I think it's interesting. Um, I think the Pac-12 will be good again this year. They're, you know, one of the best conferences for softball. Um, you look at UCLA, they're losing, you know, two of their top players, and they just reload. Like, and, and Arizona does the same yeah. thing. You know, when you're a top program, you just, who's next? Like, that's what happens. And, um, you know, it's funny because nationally, They've had all these rankings, and everybody has them all over the place. They were ninth with somebody, and I think they were 12th. And, you know, people just don't know where to put them yet. Um, but but we know that they're going to be good. It's just a matter of how good. And it's a matter of, you know, not only watching them this weekend and next weekend, it's still very early, but what are they going to look like in May? And that's always a question, right? We've always wondered, like with Coach Candrea, we always knew they were one of the best teams in the country. It's just how good are they and what do they look like in May? And, and you know, they'll go to the regional. Hopefully they'll host it. And are they good enough to go to the World Series? And, you know, those are the types of questions you ask with a program like this. And I think this year you're going to ask the same thing and you're going to look at everything. And it, and the fun thing about softball is that, you know, it, you really see the momentum from, from non-conference to conference play. And it just sort of builds up the whole season. Um, it's a little different from other sports. I don't know why, but there's something about softball that, you know, you can um, – they can play the Alabamas, who's, you know, ranked number two. They're going to play them Saturday night. And maybe they'll lose. Sometimes they lose to those teams early. And then by the, you know, by April, they're like just killing teams, you know. And that's just sort of how it goes. It's like this is sort of the warm-up. And, and if they beat them, and if they beat these top ten teams early – then you know also like Ooh, this is going to be a really good season right so so this is this is the fun time of year well is it the fun time for Caitlin Love because she walks in she's replacing a legend and the expectations it's it's her, she knows right she's been at this program for so long and if i got my history right she was on the last team that won the world series it's been a while since like Arizona softball is good very good every year, but they haven't won the whole thing since she was a player. So she walks in with this high expectation of continuing on with the success, but also like there is room to build on that. In year one, most people would say, hey, as long as, I mean, it's hard to replace a legend. She probably doesn't have that luxury, or does she have that luxury because she is one of the all-time greats? I mean, I remember covering her when I was going to school, so she's doing great. But like, <laughs> is, it, is it fair for to have that expectation on her that, hey, you know what? Yeah, you're replacing Mike Candrea, but this is Arizona softball, and the standard is the standard. I think that Arizona softball fans expect a lot out of this program. Um, they really do, and from what I heard, they're selling a lot of season tickets. So they expect them to be really good, um, and, and they're very um, – they will voice their opinion one way or the other and how they feel about this team as they go along. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on her. Let's just be honest. Um, she said that in her uh, remarks when she was named coach and there was a, you know, we had the big press conference that she used to always laugh that she said something like, I pity the fool who follows coach Candrea, right? And then she's the person who <laughs> follows Coach Candrea. So um, it, they are hard shoes to fill, very hard. But I think that Caitlin has her own style. And she's going to be her own person and coach her own way within the confines of what 
the program is, right? So I think that she comes in and thinks, I'm thinking, yes, there's pressure, but she's going to sort of push that off to the side. And she's just going to coach like she knows how to coach. She's got good coaches around her. And they're just all going to do their thing. And I think that's the way it's going to play out. Um, yes, there's there's pressure um, on the program in general. But you know what? She's got a really great, um, she's got another great recruiting class coming in next year. So she's just filling the pipeline. And she's going to continue to do that. Um, the neat thing about recruiting, too, for her is that Coach Candrea put her in charge of recruiting a number of years ago. So she was the one who was out there. I mean, when I talked to Paige Dimler, she's like, yeah, Coach Candrea came out a lot of times to see me. But, you know, first, second, and third time, it was Caitlin. And Caitlin was in the stands watching her once a week. And she saw her. And, you know, so while Coach was the one who gave her the offer, because that was his job, you know, Caitlin was right there and was, you know, watching these young players and determining, helping to determine if they were the next Wildcats. So that's nothing new. And she's already bringing in, continuing to bring in top, top players. So um, so nobody has to worry about, you know, we talk about top programs reloading. You know, Arizona's always going to get top recruits. Absolutely. And Caitlin's just continuing the tradition right there. So maybe 30 years from now, we're hearing someone else say they pity the fool who has to follow Caitlin Lowe with Arizona softball. <laughs> so that's that's what we're all hoping for. PJ Brown from the Arizona Daily Star. You can follow her on Twitter at PJBrown09. Before we let you go here, anything you want to plug for our listeners, what's going to be coming out from your byline? Sure. Um, I'll be at the game on Saturday covering that when they play Alabama. And um, just check out uh, the Wildcaster for all the stories on, on every Wildcat team. It's free. You can download it. And check out my uh, Twitter feed at, at PJBrown09. I thought it. So, PJ Brown, thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch up with you down the road. Thanks. So that's P.J. Brown of the Arizona Daily Star. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk to Michael Lev about Arizona baseball. And we're back. We're joined by Michael Lev of the Arizona Daily Star. We often have him on to talk about football, but he also covers baseball for the Arizona Daily Star. Michael, welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm always happy to talk about baseball. Yeah, Get yeah. That special tingly feeling when opening day approaches. So optimism so. abounds, right? Yeah, it does. It does. I don't. There's just something about um, baseball. It's my kind of like my first love, you know, as a sports fan uh, back in the day. And you know, it's just there's just there's that George Carlin routine, you know, where he compares football to baseball. I think a lot of that's true. I just feel like less pressure when I'm at a baseball game than compared to when I'm covering a football game, you know. Um, and maybe it's because there's only 12 of one and 54 of the other uh, something like that or maybe it's just the pace of baseball or maybe it's just that it's you know there's lower stakes in a quote-unquote non-revenue sport but i really enjoy it yeah, as i say with football if you write a bad story then you don't get too many more chances to redeem yourself whereas baseball there's probably another one the next day so you have but of course you don't write bad stories so you wouldn't even know about that well i appreciate that <laughs> but <laughs> I, I don't think that's true either um sometimes those football those football deadline stories are not they're not the greatest pros i'm not, not going to win a pulitzer off of any of those but the, uh that's for sure but, but i appreciate the sentiment but the risk of having to write the same how long is this uh, losing streak going to last will never reach two years in baseball it's safe to say <laughs> thank goodness i you know i was on another podcast Sorry to get off on a tangent here, but I was on, I know, I know, I, I'm sorry, no offense, I was on another podcast, it was a North Dakota podcast. Well, that's out of market, that's North fine. North Dakota State yeah. of Football this year, and he, we were talking about, you know, the state of the program and so forth. I could not remember that the losing streak was 20 games long. Like, in my head, it was 12, 
and that wasn't even close, right? It was twenty. It was twelve under Sumlin plus eight under Fish for a total of twenty, which is that's just an absurd situation. I mean, how could that happen? <laughs> That's a great question. 20 games? I mean, come on. <laughs> but to Brett's point, you probably won't have to remember that with baseball, but baseball this season, there is optimism, there's intrigue, there's mystery. Chip Hale takes over his alma mater, and this is a program that was in the College World Series last season. There were a lot of good players, a lot of good players left, a lot of good players remain. As Arizona baseball gets ready to begin their season, what kind of roster do they have? What are we looking at here? It is a roster that has a lot of potential. Like, there are a lot of big, explosive athletes on this team, um, high upside guys. Um, for example, I mean, everyone knows Daniel Susak. He is the preseason All American catcher, uh, Pac 12 freshman, offensive, you know, freshman of the year uh, last year. He is 6'4 which is a little tall for a catcher, you know, over about 220 pounds, like definitely looks like he could be a quarterback. You know, when you just look at his physique, he actually was a quarterback in high school, went to the same high school as Isaiah Rutherford, the uh, cornerback for the football team, Jesuit high school near Sacramento. Um, And he's kind of the foundation, but then you have someone like Tony Bullard, who's also like, he's about six, five, he's over 200 pounds. I think everyone remembers how, well, he finished last season hitting home runs seemingly every game uh, during that uh, initial uh, regional playoff round. Um, you've got Chase Davis, who was a big, big, big time prospect coming out of high school. No one really thought he would end up at Arizona. You know, the fact that the draft was so weird in 2020, they only had five rounds, if you recall. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up coming here, didn't play that much as a freshman, but like big time first round type talent. Then you have someone like TJ Nichols, um, who was a very effective freshman right-handed pitcher last year. Again, six foot four, you know, 190 pounds or so throws in the upper nineties, a guy who, you know, has the potential to be not only a Friday night starter, but, you know, maybe a high first round pick when he's eligible in 2023, if he continues to progress. So, um, it's an interesting team in that way. There's this, they, I think they have a lot of power in terms of their, their batting and a lot of power in terms of their arms. So Michael, you, you mentioned a lot of the guys that are coming back and kind of high upside, you know, I think everybody knows Daniel Susak and expects big things from him. You know, he's pretty high up in mock drafts already for, for, for the future MLB draft. Uh, I'd, I'd love to kind of hear from your perspective, who are some of the guys that you think are going to be most likely to make a big leap like I'd imagine TJ Nichols is one of those guys I think a lot of people are going to keep an eye on uh, but I think there are some other p- young pitchers and other young players that maybe Arizona fans should know coming into this season that you expect to see potentially big things from yeah TJ Nichols is probably TJ Nichols and Chase Davis are probably atop that list in terms of making a leap you could make a case for Tony Bullard too since he's never really done what he did at the end of the season over an entire season if he can do anything close to that over an entire season, he's probably going to be, you know, a top three round pick and an all pack 12 player uh, by the end of the year. So I think he falls into that category. Dawson Nets is another one uh, right-handed pitcher. He's a third year sophomore this year was used mostly as a reliever last season. Very effective down the stretch. I've heard from a couple different guys who really like uh, his makeup um, he's going to be in that uh, mix of starting pitchers. They've got about five of them that they're stretching out um, heading into the season. I think that number would be six, but Chandler Murphy is another third-year sophomore. Um, was there, I think he was 7-0 and last season, one of their more effective starters. He's got a bit of an arm issue that he's recovering from right now, so he's not going to be available at the beginning of the year couple freshman pitchers to keep an eye on. One is Daniel Susak's cousin, Anthony Susak. He goes by Tonko, uh, another big-time recruit. Had a bit of an arm issue like maybe a year ago or so, but he's in that starting mix. I've heard a lot of good things about Josh Randall, who's about 6'4", 250. I mean, he looks like a tight end 
throws a very heavy fastball, high spin rate. Um, a guy is probably going to be used as a, in a setup type of role. Um, you, know, you never know what you're going to get out of a freshman, but I think those two right-handers um, are, are going to be able to make an impact. And then in the field, I think one name to keep an eye on is Noah Turley. He is a junior college transfer from Yavapai who just absolutely mashed in junior college last year. I think hit around maybe even over 400, had something like 22 um, home runs in a you know pretty short junior college season. He was mostly a DH uh, at his JUCO. He's now playing first base. He's worked a lot to improve his defense there. And the coaches and players tell me that he's hit home runs of 500 feet or greater in practice. So some really Ruthian shots off the, the powerful bat of Noah Turley. So that could be an exciting player uh, to watch as well this year. So you're listing off the sizes of some of these plays, and it sounds like Arizona baseball is maybe bigger than some of the Arizona football team circa Rich Rodriguez. <laughs> and, and, I, and I wonder because, like, some of these guys are brought in by Chip Hale. A lot of them are probably part of the Jay Johnson classes too. And Jay Johnson was known kind of for like, yeah, they could hit. Like Arizona offense was, they were always going to bat. You know, they're all going to score runs. It was the pitching that was kind of the issue when Arizona wasn't at its best. Does Chip Hale plan on employing the same type of strategy? Because I know Jay Johnson also liked that small ball at times too. Like what kind of, I guess, style does Chip Hale plan on putting Arizona in when they're on the field? Yeah, I've asked him that question before. And he said that he will kind of cater his offensive philosophy to the type of team that he has. Um, I mean, they do have those types of players sprinkled in there. Nick McClary, the shortstop, he had one home run last year. He's about my size. Uh, he's listed at 5'9", 165. I mean, you know, he's he's a contact guy. He's a hit-and-run guy. He's a, a bunt, an advance-the-runners type of guy. Um, I don't know what you're going to get out of the new second baseman, Garen Caulfield. He's a, another junior college transfer. His team, um, Delta College... San Joaquin Delta in California. They didn't play either of the last two seasons because of the pandemic. So I I got no numbers for you uh, on that one. (laughs) Matt Bingham, remember him? He got hurt down the stretch last year. He's an on-base guy. You know, he's a, he kind of reminds me of, remember Zach Gibbons from the Mm. 2016 team who had just a gazillion hits, most of them singles. Matt Bingham is like a kind of faster, more athletic version of that, um, someone who can get on base for, for those big bats that I was referencing earlier. Uh, one thing that I think will be different under Chip is just a greater emphasis on defense. Uh, I, in fact, wrote about that in my native, my latest um, Arizona baseball notebook. Remember, Chip was an infielder uh, back in the day, a really good third baseman, played some second base uh, in MLB. I looked this up today. He made eight errors in seven seasons. Now, it's not like he played 162 games a year in, in his major league career, but a very good fielder, um, a very good infield instructor in uh, in the minors and MLB, and that's his role on this team too. You know, that's the position that he coaches, and I would expect um, Arizona to be a lot better in the field. They did not finish higher than eighth in the Pac-12 in – fielding percentage in any of their last four seasons, full seasons under Jay Johnson. Um, It's kind of impressive slash amazing that they were able to have as good a record as, as they had uh, being, you know, that substandard on defense. Yeah. Speaking of Chip Hill, I believe we chatted with you when, uh, when he was hired and we kind of talked through, you know, to your point, I don't think anybody doubts Chip Hale's knowledge as a baseball guy and as a, as a coach. Uh, He largely inherited a roster from Jay Johnson, who is a pretty, you know, proved himself to be a pretty solid recruiter and recruited a lot of those guys to, you know, LSU with him, I guess for, from your, from where you're sitting uh, for Chip Hale's, what new roster? Sorry, I'm stumbling over my words. Adam, we can edit this out. (laughs) I won't though. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> no, for, for, for Arizona fans with Chip Hale this year, what is a reasonable expectation out of this roster? And sub-question for Chip Hale personally, knowing that recruiting is a big question for him, is success this year critical for him to be successful on the recruiting trail going forward? Yeah, okay. I would say that re- returning to the College World Series 
is within the realm of possibilities. It's very hard to do. As we know, I mean, there's like 300 college Division One college baseball teams, and only eight of them make it to uh, Omaha um, each year. You know, they haven't gone gone to the World Series in back-to-back years since 85-86. And Chip Hale was, of course, a member of those teams uh, that did that. They went in 85, and they won it in 86. So it's been a long time uh, since that's happened. Um, you know, and I and to your you know, to your second question, yes, absolutely success is critical to the on the recruiting front. I think it was a great launching point for Jay Johnson in his first year to be able to make it to the College World Series to go all the way to that final game. I think that laid the groundwork for a lot of the subsequent recruiting success um, that he was able to have. I don't know how good of a recruiter Chip Hale is. Like I, I see names of guys who announce that they've committed. There just isn't the same level of coverage that there is with football where you can just quickly look up a star rating. You can quickly look up you know, what are the other offers um, that these players have. A perfect game comes the closest in terms of you know doing team rankings. And I looked at theirs for 2023 the other day, and it's it's not updated. You know, I mean, they have like, they have lists like five guys, and I think they have way more than five guys committed to that class. So there's really no way to know um, how well they're doing. I know it seems like a lot of the guys that they've gotten so far have been from the state of Arizona, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, Phoenix is an is an absolute hotbed of baseball and baseball talent. Um, I know that Chip you know, acknowledged his quote-unquote weakness and, you know, made sure that he hired assistant coaches with college experience. I mean, Dave Lawn is, you know, no one knows the West Coast better than Dave Lawn. I think retaining him made a lot of sense. Bringing in um, Trip Couch, who has a background in the SEC. His last job was at South Carolina. He's been like a recruiting coordinator, kind of knows everybody. Um, those moves make a lot of sense to me. Chip is a very, seems like a very personable guy, you know, like seems like he would be, you know, good in the living room. I don't know if he's as ruthless as Jay Johnson. I don't know if anybody in college baseball as a recruiter is as ruthless as Jay Johnson was. He approached it like football coaches do, you know, and that led to a lot of his success. Chip seems like a different personality to me and kind of remains to be seen. Um, how he'll do in that area. But to your point, I think the best thing that can happen for him would be another long playoff run, getting into the College World Series, that exposure uh, on ESPN. There's nothing quite like it. Is that what would be considered a successful season for Chip Hill? Because it's hard to judge because to say they go to the College World Series, right? It'll be like, well, that's Jay Johnson's team that he just, I guess, didn't mess up, which is a positive sign. And unlike with Jed Fish in football, who you could say, oh, he's getting all these recruits. We know he can do that. Baseball, like you said, it doesn't work that way. So when we look at this season, how can we judge Chip Hale and his impact with this team? I would say that if they make the NCAA tournament, I would consider it a successful season. Yeah. And I, I say that because not making the NCAA tournament would, to me, be considered an unsuccessful season. Like, I think it's easier to define what an unsuccessful season is versus a successful one. Like, if they don't make the tournament at all, definitely a huge disappointment. I would consider that to be, you know, a failure. Um, once you make the tournament, who knows what, what, what can happen, right? I mean, are they going to be at home? Are they going to have to go somewhere else? Who's in your regional? You know, a lot a lot of things can, can go wrong um, for you. There's... You know, it helps to, of course, have the best team, the best coaches, the best players. But there's an element of luck when you're talking about, you know, a short series, a round robin, double elimination um, type of setup. So to me, if they they make it that far, I would probably consider it a success that, you know, that might if they only make it to a a regional and don't advance past that. I'm sure fans will consider that to be a disappointment, but I feel like that's kind of the that's kind of the benchmark for any given Arizona baseball team. If the, if the program's in a good state, that you at least make it to the tournament. Well, if this year's roster is capable uh, of reaching Omaha to to you know 
regardless of how you define success, they're going to have to go through the Pac-12 this year. And another measure of that is the ability to win the conference. Uh, you know, Arizona's had a lot of changeover with their roster and their head coach. Uh, you know, what what when we look around the Pac-12, who are some of the biggest competitors for Arizona in terms of winning the conference? Yeah, the consensus favorite and top, pretty much consensus top five team is Stanford. They brought almost everybody back. And if you recall, the team that ousted Arizona from the College World Series was Stanford. And that game wasn't even close. I, you know, I don't know if one baseball game is indicative of the state of, of, of a given program. And you know, you also have to factor in Arizona's mental uh, state heading into that game. I think there was, it was a huge letdown situation after long, grueling extra inning loss to Vanderbilt uh, you know, a couple nights earlier. Uh, but Stanford's the one. Um, other teams that um, are, are in that mix, I've seen Oregon State. And a lot of top 25s, I've seen Oregon up there. UCLA is always a threat, although they might be in a bit of a, a transition phase. And then, you know, ASU is interesting, right? I mean, they've kind of gone the same route that Arizona did in terms of hiring a head coach who is an alum coming from MLB. So we'll see how that model um, works for them. Um, I'm definitely looking forward this year, guys, to a Pac-12 tournament which is happening for the first time uh, up in Scottsdale. That's pretty cool. I believe it's going to be the top eight teams from the regular season who get in there. And the Pac-12 was one of the last holdouts in that regard. And what happens is you, know, you get around tournament selection time and it's, it's about eyeballs. You know, it's, I don't know how much of it is really about like your resume as sort of still being in the, the consciousness of the selection committee. And when you've got those tournaments going on and maybe you get on TV, which would really be nice. I don't know what the broadcast situation is going to be for the Pac-12 tournament. It'd be nice if it was some of those games were on ESPN or ESPN2 or ESPNU or heck, even ESPN+. Plus. You know, all of those have greater reach than the Pac-12 networks, you know. So uh, that's another thing to look forward to um, at the end of this season is uh, the first ever Pac-12 baseball tournament. I think we're all looking forward to just this season in general. It's kind of when teams hire a new coach, it's often because they had to fire the old one. If you fire the old coach, it's because they weren't very good. In this case, Arizona was very, very good. They had a coach poached, which unfortunate but it's a sign that your program's in a good spot in ship hail there's a lot of intrigue there's a lot of questions but we'll find out you know if those questions can be answered michael lev you can follow him on twitter at michael j lev works for the arizona daily star covers baseball covers football i have a feeling we're going to be talking with you a little bit down the road because there's a lot going on with both of those sports but anything you want to plug in the meantime for our listeners on wildcat radio here well we did a special section previewing baseball and softball and those stories are up on our website um, right now um, you should check those out I did a profile on Chip Hale I did a profile on Daniel Susak I did 15 players to watch and I'm working on this week a story about the program's uh, utilization of analytics advanced statistics you know all the new technology that's available to compile data and, and utilize um, that data and that story is going to be in Sunday's paper. It should be up on our website on Saturday. And I think it's going to be kind of a, a cool one, an interesting one, especially for if you're you know, kind of nerdy about, about baseball or about sports. Um, th this might be the story for you. Yeah, looking forward to it. So, Michael Ev, thanks for joining us on Wildcat Radio 2.0. We'll catch up with you later. Thanks, fellas. So thanks again to Michael Lev for sharing those thoughts on the baseball season. And, Brad, just like with PJ and softball talking about that, Baseball is in such an interesting spot where there's a strong belief and an expectation they're going to be very good, but there's still a question of like, hey, they got new coaches who are pretty unproven. Like, what a time! Yeah, it's it's a it's very much um, like like it, like Lev was mentioning, where spring training just means optimism and hope, and I think there's reason for optimism and hope for both softball and baseball. But just like a spring training, you don't know really what you have there until you start to see it on the field and come together. And usually that's just the roster, let alone, you know,
brand new head coaches in both in both programs. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's an interesting time. Like and again, full expectation they're going to be good teams. But it's a really interesting transition period for two of Arizona's premier sports. Uh, before we sign off for this week, Brett, we should probably talk about, you know, Arizona football. There's been a lot of people wondering, how are they getting this recruiting classes? You know, how did this happen after a one-win season? And there have been whispers like the NIL stuff has been really helpful to them. Well, Arizona was announced today on uh, Wednesday the 9th that a bunch of Tucson business leaders have launched an NIL collective to help, you know, connect Wildcats, reading off the Arizona Daily Star here, connect Wildcats athletes with endorsement money. Basically, it's one of those things where you read, you're like, you know what? Yeah. Why wouldn't you do this? <laughs> In this world of NIL, a lot of people are worried that it's like, oh, well, all the Alabamas and Oregons are going to have an advantage because they have all the money. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of money there. But not that Arizona has a bunch of poor alumni either. So if you can find a way to harness what you do have with the business community to help support the student athletes, NIL could really work for you. Well, I can't help but just laugh at the people that say, oh, no, with NIL, now Oregon and Alabama are going to have too much money in, in buying players. It's like, <laughs> okay. But did you really <laughs> think when NIL came out? Because like, the players, I'm all for them getting paid for what they do and being able to do this. But did you for a second think NIL, that's going to be great for Arizona? I didn't necessarily assume it would be great for Arizona, but I think Arizona has proved prescient in the Arizona Edge program and kind of, you know, and in this Friends of Wilbur and Wilma Mm -hmm. uh, NIL collective, you know, this is what a smart program like Arizona can actually leverage a relatively large and fairly successful alumni base, you know, a passionate fan base, even if it's not just sheer volume of of alumni, like some other schools that have, oh, I don't know, 90,000 students (laughs) on campus at any given moment and hand out, you know, 40,000 degrees every year. Um, I think Arizona has been smart and maybe, you know, at the forefront of doing this in the most intelligent way that has given them a bit of an edge, no pun intended with the Arizona edge program. Uh, And then, you know, I think marrying that up with a new head coach that you took a little bit of a risk on who is a grinder and trying to turn over every rock and trying to do everything in the right way and saw this as an opportunity to take advantage uh, and I think that's what's showing up in football. It'll probably show up in basketball. Uh, I'm, and I'm pretty sure the weird thing for basketball with the, the international flavor. Like I don't they're not eligible. I don't think they're eligible, which is, a, which is interesting. So if Arizona has an international connection and can leverage Tommy Lloyd's success there and then use this NIL program for in, you know, in the state's uh, onshore prospects, if you will, uh, you know, maybe that combination helps the basketball program even more than most schools as well. Yeah, I think it's going to help all the programs. Like we've seen it very much in football. So we assume that's a big part of the success in football, but certainly there's a lot of other sports, a lot of other premier athletes on campus who could do well when it comes to the NIL stuff and look forward to seeing what they do. And again, I think they deserve it. That's great. It's awesome to see how Arizona, like you said, they're very prescient to get ahead of this and to have a plan for when this stuff happens. We talked about that again with football, how when certain changes happen with the coaching staffs around the Pac-12, how Arizona was ready to pounce. You have to be ready for this because everyone else had the same opportunity. NIL started for every school at the same time. And for Arizona to be able to get out in front of it or at least be one of the leaders in this space will certainly prove to be advantageous. Doesn't mean other schools won't catch up. Other schools won't be able to come up with their own ideas and have their own lev- you know, basis to leverage as well. But Arizona has that right now. And once you can get that, when you're, kinda, when you're first, it makes a big deal. It makes a big difference for people because you get that going. And, of course, this early success, if the teams start winning or keep winning, then it just builds and builds and builds. So that's very good news to come out of Arizona uh, this week. And, of course... You know, we're hoping for more good news later on this week. Arizona basketball, uh, the men's team is going to the Washington schools, so that's a sneaky tough road trip for them, especially given the recent schedule with, you know, a lot of games and a lot of days. Uh, the women have a couple games, too. They're playing ASU on Friday and then ASU again on Sunday, so a very ASU weekend uh, in Tempe, and then in Tucson, of course, ASU used to be the premier women's basketball program in the state, and they are not anymore because that team is in Tucson. As I mean, you love to see it. Yeah, you know what's you know better than beating ASU in basketball once in a weekend, Adam? 
beating them twice, hopefully. That happened for the men's team last year. Remember when Arizona yeah. won the game, like, on the... I think they went in Tucson first, and they had the Azulis Tabellas tip in to win yeah. in Tempe, like, three days later. It's like, I didn't like that they played those games too so close together, but then when it worked out, I'm like, yeah, that was just delightful. <laughs> I think it was like, yeah, it was something like that. I think the game in Tucson was first, and they had a tip in or something, but if you're going to win them both, it's the best. So Exactly. And, of course, baseball and softball are starting up this weekend, too. As our guest, thanks again to P.J. Brown and Michael Love of the Arizona Daily Star for joining us and sharing their insight. But make sure you're following us on uh, Twitter at Wildcat Radio. AZ is the handle. There's going to be a lot of content coming from there. And, of course, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on each of those. And on iTunes, leave us a review and a rating. And if you leave that review, then we will read it on the air because we are honest and we appreciate any feedback you all have. But regardless of that... Let's all have a good weekend. It's got a lot of wins for Arizona. We'll catch you next week. And remember to bear down. Bear down.